reading from the book of Genesis. And it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adalmite whose name was Hira. Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her as a wife and had relations with her. And she conceived and gave birth to a son, and he named him Ur. Then she conceived again and gave, him birth, gave birth to a son, and she named him Onan. She gave birth to yet another son and named him Shelah, and it was at Chebez that she gave birth to him. Now Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Onan, Have relations with your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her and raise up a child for your brother. Now Onan knew that the child would not be his, so he had relations with his brother's wife. He wasted his seed on the ground so that he would not give a child to his brother. But what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, so he took his life also. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, I am afraid that he too may die, die like his brothers. So Tamar went up and lived in her father's house. Now after a considerable time, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. And when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to his sheep shearers at Tanah, and he and his friend Ira the Eldamite. And Tamar was told, Behold, your father-in-law is going up to Tanar to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in the gateway of Enam, which is the road to Tamar Tanar. For she saw that Shelah had grown up, Shelah had grown up, and she had not been given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he assumed she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. So he turned aside to her by the road and said, Here now, let me have relations with you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may have relations with me? He said, Therefore, I will send you a young goat from the flock. She then said, Will you give a pledge unto, until you send it? He said, What pledge shall I give you? And she said, Your shield and your cord and your staff, that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and had relations with her, and she conceived by him. Then she got up and departed and removed her veil and put on her widow's garments. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adalmite to receive the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. He asked the people of her place, saying, Where is the temple prostitute who is by the road at Edom? But they said, There has been no te temple prostitutes here. So he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. And furthermore, the people of the place said, of the place said that there had been no temple prostitute here. Then Judah said, Let her keep them, otherwise we will become a laughingstock. After all, I sent this young goat, but you did not find her. Now it was about three months later that Judah was informed, Your daughter-in-law Tamar has prostituted herself, and behold, she is also pregnant by prostitution. Then Judah said, Bring her out and have her burned. It was while she was being brought out that she sent word to her father-in-law, saying, I am pregnant by the man to whom, you, whom these things belong. She also said, 
Please examine and see the, whose signet ring and cords and staff are these. And Je jo Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah, and he did not have relations with her again. It came about at this time she was giving birth, that behold, there were twins in her womb. Moreover, it took place while she was giving birth that one baby put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But it came about as he drew back his hand that, behold, his brother came out. Then she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. So he was named Perez. Afterward, his brother came out, who had, had the scarlet thread on his hand, and he was named Azera. The word of the Lord. Well done, Butch. For those who are visiting, my name's Paul. I'm the senior pastor here. And you might be thinking, what have I gotten myself into today? My wife, she said, really? We're really going to preach on this passage? Yes, we are. Um, we're in a new series. We started it last week on the life of Joseph. And right as Joseph's story starts to unfold in the book of Genesis, it's interrupted by this story. One of the most bizarre and seemingly twisted stories in all of Scripture. We like to preach through whole books of the Bible or whole chunks of the Bible through what's called expository preaching. And so uh, my hope for everyone here today is that this passage would uh, deepen your search or your uh, faith walk with the Lord. And uh, additionally, it would change your life. Change your view of just how big God actually is, not just for yourself, but for your family. So before we dive into Genesis 38, would you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, fittingly, our passage is titled Grace and Redemption. Excuse me, our sermon is titled Grace and Redemption, and I'd like to begin by asking everyone this question. Have you ever witnessed a mistake made on the public stage? The following series of ads reportedly appeared in a newspaper some years ago. Monday, the Reverend A.J. Jones has one color TV set for sale, telephone 626-1313 after... 7 p.m. and ask for Mrs. Donnelly, who lives with him. Cheap. <laughs> Next Tuesday, quote, we regret any embarrassment caused to Reverend Jones by a typo typographical error in yesterday's paper. The ad should have read, the Reverend A.J. Jones has one color TV set for sale, cheap, telephone 626-1313 and ask for Mrs. Donnelly, who lives with him after 7 p.m. Then the next day, Wednesday, quote, the Reverend A.J. Jones informs us that he has received several annoying telephone calls because of an incorrect ad in yesterday's paper. It should have read, the Reverend A.J. Jones has one color TV set for sale, cheap. Telephone 626-1313 after 7 p.m. and ask for Mrs. Donnelly, who loves with him. <laughs> then the next day, Thursday, Quote, please take notice that I, the Reverend A.J. Jones, have no color TV set for sale. I have smashed it. 
do not call 626-1313 anymore. I have not been carrying on with Mrs. Donnelly. She was until yesterday, my housekeeper. And then Friday, wanted a housekeeper. Usual housekeeping duties, good pay, love, Reverend A.J. Jones, telephone 626-1313. You see, friends, life is full of mistakes. Some are incidental, you know, because we're all human in this thing called life. And yet some are also intentional because, you know, we're all human in this life. Some mistakes are small, some Mistakes are large, but we all can't escape the fact or the reality that all of us make mistakes, right? Friends, what happens when we make a mistake or a series of mistakes that are quite serious? When we make this choice that leads to that choice? When we whisper this lie that leads to that lie? When a compromise here leads to a big compromise here? Are we through? Are we done? Or asked through the lens of faith, is God done with us? These are legitimate questions, ones with which I think we all wrestle. And perhaps nothing speaks more to a person's character than how they deal with life's failures, life's mistakes. And perhaps nothing more speaks of God's character than how he deals with our failures, our mistakes. So this leads us back into our study of Joseph in our bizarre passage for today. The big idea from Genesis 38 for us is this. In the master plan of God, no person is beyond the grace of God and no mistake is beyond the redemption of God. In the master plan of God, no person is beyond the grace of God and no mistake is beyond the redemption of God. So who's ready to dive in to this scandalous passage with me? Let me see a show of hands. All right, let's go. Point one, in the master plan of God, no person is beyond the grace of God. The passage begins, and it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hera. Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her as a wife and had relations with her. And she conceived and gave birth to a son, and he named him Ur. Then she conceived again and gave birth to a son, and she named him Onan. And she gave birth to yet another son and named him Shelah. And it was a Chezeb that she gave birth to him. And now Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. So let me just say this, right out of the gate, my wife is terrified of what I might share with you today. <laughs> it's true. However, it seems in this story, God might be terrifying us a little bit. I'm prone to oversharing. Maybe God is prone to oversharing too. Why? Well, we'll get to that. First, I'd like to paint a picture of what's going on here and then loop it back into the story of Joseph at the end. So first in our passage, we read that Judah leaves his brothers and heads to a place called Adullam. And it's no big deal, right? We're here, we're told, that Judah meets and marries a Canaanite woman. And that's where we see the first sign of trouble. If any of you have read through the story of Genesis, the book of Genesis, 
you'll remember that Abraham, the patriarch Abraham and his descendants, were clearly instructed not to intermarry with the Canaanites. For instance, in Genesis 24, Abraham had given these words to his servant Eleazar. 24, verse 3, Swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughter of the Canaanites. Furthermore, when Isaac, Judah's granddad, blessed and sent Jacob, Judah's dad, to Mesopotamia, in Genesis 28, we read, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Thus, in our passage, Judah rebels and dishonors his family's legacy in the call to Jewish fidelity right out of the gate by marrying a Canaanite woman. Scripture wants us to see Judah's arrogance here. Now, considering the past, this arrogance and rebellion by Judah shouldn't surprise us, right? Do you remember what we shared last week, right, as we launched into this new series? Judah's dad was a broken man, and his brothers were broken people, all leading to a broken story. If you remember, there's infighting amongst the brothers, and there's scandal in the family. In fact, as we ended our passage last week in launching into the story of Joseph, which brother encouraged the other brothers to sell the favored son, the brother, Joseph, into slavery? Judah. Dave, Judah was not a good guy, to put it mildly. Now, returning to our passage today, following his marriage to the Canaanite woman, who, by the way, remains unnamed for whatever reason in our story, we're told that Judah then has three sons, and immediately we see that the sins of the grandfather, Jacob, and the sins of the father, Judah, are passed on to the sons. And it all centers around this young woman named Tamar, who Judah had secured for his oldest son, or firstborn, Ur. So what do we know about Judah? Or excuse me, not Judah, Tamar. What do we know about Tamar? Well, we don't know much, but theologians, listen, believe she was also a Canaanite, someone outside of the line of Israel. And this is an important detail we'll get back to in just a few minutes. For now, just know this, that Tamar was given in a marriage to Ur. And some people after the first service came up to me and they said, we had no idea that this was true. She was married to Ur and this was a very, very big deal. Why? Because God had promised to Abraham and his descendants uh, to bless and redeem all the nations. Do you remember that? Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing and I'll bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And all the families of the earth through you will be blessed. Now that's quite the promise, isn't it? Well, guess what? This promise was meant to be passed from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and then to Jacob's firstborn. But here's the question. As we hit Genesis 38, who would that be? Considering that Reuben, the legitimate firstborn, had been taken out of consideration through previous improprieties, he'd slept with one of his dad's wives. Never a good idea. And then the other brothers, Simeon and Levi... Judah's other older brothers had been eliminated due to extreme violence. And stick with me. Yeah, we got a little charismatic baby. Amen. Seeing that, listen, seeing that Joseph had been taken out by way of slavery, who did that leave? Judah. 
It's crazy, right? The promises of God were meant to flow now through prideful and dishonorable Judah. And guess who Judah's firstborn was? Ur. And who did Ur marry? Tamar. Now pulling back, this is what our passage wants us to see. This random person, this foreign woman, is now in the center stage of history. And through her would come all the blessings of Yahweh himself. Somehow, through all the scandal and pain, we'll soon see God's redemption would come to be. And we're meant to pull back and just stand in awe of this. Here's the point. In the master plan of God, no person is beyond the grace, or what this word grace means, unmerited favor of God. No one is outside of his love and his reach. In AJ, that means he can use you and he can even use me. Whoever you are today, whether you're an outsider, an insider, boy or a girl, girl, native born or a foreign born, born into a great family, horrible family or no family at all, from the high life or the low life, beautifully blessed or brutally broken, God can use you. The question is, do you believe that today? He can call you. He can equip you. He can bless you and send you in ways you could never dare dream. According to scripture, he can write your name in the pages of history. And that's what we see with Tamar. And here's the truth. Jelena, that's what he can do with you and me. No, pers- no person joining us today, be it here in person or the random person online, we were getting texts from around the country after our first service. Ashton Lamb, thank God for the online service. No person here or out there is beyond the grace of God. This leads us to point two and the good stuff. In the master plan of God, no mistake is beyond the redemption of God. Now here's the deal, and some of you know this all too well. Our world can be harsh, and I mean really harsh. As the saying goes, power corrupts. And that's exactly what we see through Judah and his line. Continuing in verse 7, we read, But Ur, or Er, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Onan, Have relations with your brother's wife, perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her, and raise up a child for your brother. Now Onan knew that the child would not be his, so when he had relations with his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground so that he would not give a child to his brother. But what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, so he, the Lord, took his life also. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, I'm afraid that he too may die like his brother. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. So what are we looking at here? Well, we're looking at evil, disobedience, and deceit, all in the line of Judah. Let's look at this quickly. First, following the marriage to Tamar, Scripture tells us Ur was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. Now, the other times this exact language is used in Scripture is when God brings judgment on the earth during the time of Noah, or when God brings judgment to Sodom and Gomorrah. Thus, much detail is uh, limited here. There's not a lot of detail here. We just read that he was evil and God took him out. Okay. On to the next brother. 
We read that Tamar was given to Onan, Ur's brother, in what was known as a leveret marriage. What's a leveret marriage? Jay, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Thank you. A leveret marriage was when a woman's husband died without any offspring. It was the responsibility of the brother to bear a child with his dead brother's wife in order to continue the brother's line and legacy. And this might seem crazy to our modern sensibilities, but in those times, it was an act of mercy. It was an act of provision and grace. If you want to read more about this, just turn to Deuteronomy 25 or read the book of Ruth. So here's the question. Did Onan fulfill his brotherly responsibility? Tom, my father-in-law in the front row. No, he did not. Scripture wants us to see yet again the arrogance in the self-serving nature of the line of Judah. As one theologian puts it, Bruce Walkie, he, Onan, abuses family loyalty for his own sensuality. So what happens? God takes him out as well. And last, we're told that in response to the loss of Ur and Onan, Judah then sends Tamar back to her dad's house. And this in and of itself would have been greatly disrespectful and dishonoring. Why? Because Judah was then responsible for Tamar. And to make matters worse, Scripture then tells us that uh, she, she would have the youngest son, Shelah, when he was of age in marriage. But in truth, Scripture also reveals that he was lying because he feared that son also would die. Thus, in a very passive-aggressive manner, Judah shames and blames his daughter-in-law, Tamar. He puts the evil not at his feet or his son's feet, but at her feet. To quote another theologian, Judah was despicable. What a mess, right? Judah and his family are evil, disobedient, and deceitful, and Tamar is essentially used, abused, and discarded. Oh, and the promise of Abraham seems to have met a bitter, a twisted end. It's a hot mess, right? Well, before we get to the finale, I want us to stop and pull back yet again and reflect on all this. In your life, have you ever found yourself making so many mistakes that you believe there's no way out? Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's even an extramarital affair. Look, Scripture is very raw here, and it invites us to be raw and real too. Maybe we are like Judah, guilty of sin after sin, and our life's a mess, and our family's unraveling. Or maybe we're like Tamar. We've been used, abused, and discarded, feeling the pain of the abuse of power over us or around us. Maybe we've walked in today cloaked in shame and we don't know what to do. Maybe that's you today. Listen, friends, both Judah and Tamar are at the heart of the Bible. And you ready? Here's the mic drop. They're actually at the heart of Jesus' story. You ever read those genealogies in the Bible and go, why are all these names listed? Do you know when we open the New Testament, whose names are listed in the genealogy of Jesus? Judah and Tamar in Matthew chapter 1. Why is it? Is it to illustrate that they were good and perfect people? Absolutely not. That they had a fairy tale life? Clearly not. 
It's to illustrate this, that God is good and his grace is real and his redemption is offered to each one of us. In the master plan of God, nothing you've done is beyond the redemption of God. Do you believe that today? Our passage concludes with an unexpected and rather twisted story. Following the death of his wife, we're told Judah then goes to a place called Timnah, where he then solicits a prostitute to sleep with him. He gives her his seal and his cord and his staff as a security for her services, and she becomes pregnant. And the twist, of course, is that the prostitute was none other than Tamar in disguise. And when it all comes to light, Judah's sin and hypocrisy are put on full public display, and yet Tamar is exonerated. Here's the kicker, which may surprise you. Ready? When Judah is caught, he shared these words. She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Sheila. So what does this mean? One more exegetical nugget. Well, according to the custom of the day and the Hittite law of that land, if no brother was available to fulfill the leveret marriage for his dead brother's wife, who did the responsibility fall on? The father-in-law. Thus Tamar, though she acted with stealth, acted well within her right to carry on her dead husband's name. It's wild, right? And through this twisted story, the promise to Abraham and his descendants lived on. Lived on not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, in the person and the work of Jesus. You see, in the redemptive historical pages of Scripture, over and over, over, and over again, we see this promise to Abraham um, attacked, wrought with scandal, disrupted, and God has always proved faithful and true to keep his promise. And this loops even into the story of Joseph. Where's Joseph? Well, as we'll get to in a few weeks, when we hit Genesis chapter 46, who saves this family, Tamar, Judah, and the kids from famine in the land of Egypt? Joseph. Joseph is a Christ-like figure who ensures the safety and security of God's promise in his people. So as we wrap up today, hear again this truth. In the master plan of God, no person, none of you are beyond the grace of God, and no mistake is beyond the redemption of God. If you're like Tamar, know that God loves you and sees you today. You, be, you may be a nothing to others, but you're a someone to him. Trust in the Lord, wait in the Lord, and boldly lead for the Lord when given the chance. And if you're like Judah, know that God loves you and wants to redeem you today. No matter what you've done, God can forgive you, he can repair you and restore you today. That's the whole reason Jesus came. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5. It's all about letting the grace and redemption of God redefine and redirect our lives. So no matter who you are or what you walked in with today, God is inviting us to let him redirect 
Redefine our lives. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, allow me to share or close by sharing a quote from the late Brendan Manning. When I get honest, I admit I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt, I hope and get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good and I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I am trusting and suspicious. I'm honest and I still play games. Aristotle said I'm a rational animal. I say I'm an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. To live by grace means to acknowledge my whole story, my whole life story, the light side and the dark. In admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. As Thomas Merton put it, a saint is not someone who's good, but who experiences the goodness of God. Friends, do you need the goodness of God to overflow into your life and your family today? Looking back, looking at the here and now and looking in the future, you're like, I have no idea how it's all going to work out. God does. He sees you and can forgive you and can redeem you. Perhaps the greatest danger is not believing, not, not in God, but in yourself, that he can somehow, he can rescue you, Judah. He can you, you, use you, Tamar, whoever you are. Stop playing games and let your life matter in the hands of the living God. He is faithful and true. And he'll see your family true because he's always faithful to his promise. He wants to not only bless you, but bless the world through you. Believe that, friends, for yourself and if you have kids, for your kids today and for your grandkids today. Amen? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we thank you for this good word. You don't leave us nor forsake us. You come to redeem and rescue us. No matter the cost, no matter the crazy, twisted story, you're always faithful and true. Lift the shame in this room. Lift the shame on our families, God. Restore us and redeem us, God. And for those of us who've just gone astray, forgive us, every single inch of us. Re redeem and redirect our stories, God. For our good and your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.